Hello and welcome to Perhaps It's You, an unofficial fan rewatch podcast of the classic TV series Unsolved Mysteries. If you're watching along, we're on Season 1, Episode 3 of the Amazon Prime original Robert Stack episodes. I'm Samantha and I'm here with my co-host Liz. How's it going, Liz? I'm fine. I think we should definitely emphasize that this is completely unofficial. Totally. Unsolved yep. Mysteries did not ask us to do this in any way. They, nor would they ever. <laughs> nor would they. Nor do they know that we're alive. No, no. No. We're totally just fans of Unsolved Mysteries. We Absolutely. Liz watched it as a child. I did not. So we have two t- sort of different perspectives. I have a hazy childhood memory. <laughs> My mom listened to our first podcast and was like, oh, you were very diplomatic about me letting you watch it as a child. <laughs> So I kind of didn't think I was. No, but. I didn't either. You were like, I couldn't sleep at night as a child because I watched scary shows like this. She seemed to be fine with it. So hi, mom. And then possibly a couple of people are tuning in from the Mike and Josh podcast. Yeah, so if hello you to came, them. If you came over from Mike and Josh's podcast, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, welcome. They gave us a really nice shout out on their podcast. A much nicer shout out than we gave them. Yeah, that's we stum- 100% true. We stumble through everything, but they're honestly super good. And if you aren't subscribed and you don't listen to their podcast, I highly recommend it. So we appreciate you giving us a chance, and we appreciate your devotion to Unsolved Mysteries that you would miss into multiple Unsolved Mysteries you podcasts. You are our people. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Everyone who listen to the- listens to this podcast are just like us. We love weird shit, stories it's about true. murder and ghosts. It's true. And I kind of love it. So thank you for tuning in again. This is our third episode. We're working out the kinks. We appreciate your patience. People have been super nice about us having no idea what we're doing. Yeah. It's very encouraging. They actually tell us that we do know what we're doing, which is completely (laughs) completely wrong. They're wrong. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm glad they're wrong. It makes me feel good. It makes me want to keep doing this. Right. So I heard from my friend Gretchen this week that said in her circle of friends, she's the weird one that likes... (laughs) True crime shows. But then she listens to podcasts like this and she doesn't feel so alone. Yeah, she was like, obviously I'm nothing compared to you and Samantha. (laughs) Do we take that as a compliment? (laughs) The real weirdos. (laughs) I was like, you're not alone. There's lots of people that like this weird stuff. There are so many. Um, So yeah, hello weirdos. Welcome. (laughs) We're glad you're here. Do we have any updates from the last episode? I have a very minor Oh, okay, let's hear it. Which is that I... In the case of the convenience store robbery, where we do not believe that Mike did it, I kept saying he was in jail, which is an act. He was in prison. Okay. And that's something that when other people do really bothers me. (laughs) So I feel like I should come clean and say, like, no, he was... It's easy to use those terms interchangeably and not even realize it. Yeah. Because, yeah, he was in prison. He was in prison. I kept being like, how did he have such a nice haircut when he was in jail? Well, he wasn't in jail. He was in prison for life. It's a little... (laughs) Bit different. It's quite different. It's quite different. So I apologize for that error. Those terms are not interchangeable. I sometimes get confused. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again because just lots of TV show, fictional TV shows treat those words as if they're exactly the same thing because they have bars, I guess. (laughs) And it's irritating. So sorry about that. I have a small update as well. Okay. So I am slowly working my way through uh, Mike and Josh's podcast. And I was kind of skipping around at first, but then I realized that their episode three is on the Kurt McFall case. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go back and listen to that one, which, by the way, they do a really good job. But that case apparently was from one of the specials that Unsolved Mysteries did. Interesting. Because we had mentioned that before Unsolved Mysteries was a 
TV show, there was specials. And yes. that one was from one of the specials. So it's clear to me now that these Amazon episodes are very pieced together. Yeah, that's interesting because Samantha was just telling me if you bought Unsolved Mysteries DVDs, they're organized differently than they are on Amazon. They're organized by theme. Yeah, I don't know if this is the case for all of them. They're really hard to find and they're really expensive. But the big one, like the big collection that people sell for like $1,000 on eBay is organized by, say, Legends are one category and you have various DVDs for that. And then you have a different set for murders and a different set for UFOs. So I found that to be kind of interesting. So clearly they've packaged them together a couple of different ways, and we're doing the Amazon way, which I feel like is the one most people have access to. I also I know it's also on Hulu. I think one or two seasons is up on Hulu now. Yeah, I'm but not I think sure. it's the same as Amazon. So. I think so. Yeah. But if you're following along with us, we're doing it the Amazon way, not the extremely expensive <laughs> DVD way, uh, which might be the better way because you can you know pick out interesting cases. Well, I watching unsolved mysteries where you do get that smorgasbord effect of all the little like right a little bit of everything and you wind up with some duds i'll be honest i'm travis and i my my fiance watch unsolved mysteries periodically and we're kind of working our way so we're ahead and we're on just about to start season three and there are some boring ass episodes yeah i don't know so i don't know what we're gonna do in particular that i can think of right now where it's like i'm dreading that actually the episode we did for today wasn't the most exciting stuff in it though i just think the last one was so good yeah that in a way until we get to an episode about a certain rock <laughs> very few episodes are going to compare to that one which is just my heart it's bleeds. one of the top ones it's You're just right. amazing so compared to that some of these episodes are just boring also we just have tastes so i don't care for history stories as much i don't care for treasure hunts which is in this episode. Yeah, Samantha, I meant to thank Samantha last episode for very graciously and generously letting me cover <laughs> the Kurt McFall case because she knew how much I would enjoy it. I did. See, that's just the sort of person Samantha is <laughs> and why I knew this podcast was a good idea. And I, I feel like I paid her back slightly because I got the treasure episode this time. You got a fraud and a treasure hunt, which are two of the most boring topics for Unsolved Samantha Mysteries. was like, oh no, treasure. Yeah, Great. Liz gets that one. No, no, we're going to make it interesting. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, Our, our five listeners are really going to enjoy here i'm intrigued that some of my listeners don't even really watch unsolved mysteries so if that's you tell us more about that that's interesting to me um they just like stories about mysteries they just who doesn't yeah you know if you don't watch the show and you want to see some visuals follow us on instagram follow us on instagram facebook and twitter where we post screenshots particularly on instagram because that's a photo platform we post a lot of screenshots from the show, things that we find funny that we talk about in the podcast. You should really follow us because we try and we try and keep up with Samantha that so you can get the some, effect. Some very good screenshots of some, outfits and mustaches. There's some really good ones for If this you want to see who won most valuable mustache, you're gonna need to look on Instagram. Last time obviously Jerry Strickland was disqualified for being a dirtbag. He didn't win. Yeah, dirtbags can't win most valuable mustache, unfortunately for them. So we did have a runner up. <laughs> no, that's good for them. It I is, mean, well, that's yeah. what they get. <laughs> you don't get most valuable mustache. <laughs> sure, that really on a podcast that is Jerry Strickland sits in prison. He's like, no, I really wanted most valuable mustache. 
So Karadik from our last episode, we didn't really mention it because we're amateurs and we forget things. Did we even say our name? We, in our did, last we didn't podcast? even say no. what the name of the podcast is. In it our didn't last even episode. bother anyone. I don't no, know. So, but yeah, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're at perhaps it's you y o u, and I think that's all of our updates. That's all we have to say. Let's get get into it. Liz. Samantha has the first mystery this episode, and it's amnesia. This is actually a kind of terrifying case. This one freaked me out a little bit. This is more of a forensic files a little bit. I was home alone last night, which I'm not usually, and I felt myself being kind of paranoid and like jumpy for some reason, which is not common for me. I think it's this case. I think it's this case. It's all the murder podcasts I've been listening to lately. (laughs) And I'm like... It creeps up on you. It does, because I was kind of jumpy and hearing noises. And yeah, this one is... This case is just... I'm sure all of our female listeners and non-binary listeners can sort of identify with why this case would be terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Take take it away, Samantha. So February 19th, 1982 in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Sure. Which is a town of 46,000 people. Woonsocket, which is a strange Love it there. Great summers (laughs) in Woonsocket. It's a really small town. Robert Stack said that the town was stunned by the most savage murder in its history. I'm wondering how many murders Woonsocket, Rhode Island, has had in its history. Mm-hmm. This one was extremely savage, so yeah, no doubt that's true. It's a bad one. It's very Would bad. Would Robert Stack lie to us also? I want to think no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so that really seriously. No, Liz. He never. Wouldn't. He wouldn't. So this is what happened. So on, at 3.30 p.m., Doug Heath gets home to his apartment from work. When he walks through the door, he sees his neighbor's three-year-old daughter, Nicole, locked out of her mother's apartment. He asks Nicole where her mother is, and the child says that her mom is downstairs lying down. He tries the door to their apartment, but it's locked, so he immediately knows that something's wrong. He goes downstairs to the laundry room, where he discovers 22-year-old Doreen Picard slumped between the washer and dryer, covered in blood. A few feet away, he spots 27-year-old Susan Lafarte lying face down in a pool of blood. Doreen is pronounced dead at the scene. Susan is in critical condition and is rushed to the ER. She's in surgery for two and a half hours. Her husband, Ernie, says that she was basically hanging by a thread. But miraculously, Susan survived. Um, She was in a coma for a month, but she woke up. And unfortunately, she had no memory of the attack. She had total amnesia. Um, She actually lost all her memories between January and February. And she says that the day of the attack is completely gone from her memory. Um, And six years later, when this aired, the police were still searching for the person who murdered Doreen and assaulted Susan. So what happened was on the day of the attack, this is what we know. Susan had lunch with her sister, and at 1.30, two friends came to the door. Um, There were two men. Susan's sister knew one of them and not the other. I took a screenshot of these guys because they're real funny. (laughs) The outfits in the show... They're I love really, them all. They're really good. I'll post that one on Instagram. But anyway, the guys were apparently there to look at some puppies that Susan was selling. As you do. As you do, you know. It sounded kind of like they, she kept the puppies down in the laundry room. Because they said they went downstairs to look at the yeah, puppies. Yeah, it did seem that way. This was a one-floor apartment. Which, okay. I don't know. That was kind of interesting. But at 1.45, her sister went home. And then basically no one knows what happened between 1.45 and 3.30 when Doug discovered the bodies. Um, so for some reason, they try and coax information out of Susan's three-year-old daughter, Nicole. Yeah. They said that they extensively questioned her, which made me extremely uncomfortable. Yep. 
Because she's, yep. she's three, and as we learned recently, children question, when you ask children the same questions over and over again, they start to think they're giving the wrong answers. So when, when you think that you're trying to just see if their story is straight, they think, well, they asked me this question again, my last answer was wrong, I'm going to give a different answer, and then you end up with some wild-ass tales. Yes, this actually relates to common uh, Unsolved Mysteries thread of satanic panic, crimes in the 80s. Uh, where people were falsely accused of child abuse and other supposed crimes that related to Satanism came from inappropriately questioning children, small children over and over and over again. They don't mean to lie. They just assume that they're giving the wrong answer because you keep asking the exact same question. And the longer you question them the more crazy the answers start to become. Which is why it ends up being like Satanists and UFOs and bloodletting and and stuff like that. Yeah, they just spin these wild tales. Well, fortunately, it seems like they didn't give much credence to her answers because the investigator says that her story was so inconsistent and it kept changing so often that they couldn't use her. But when the grandma said what she had, what her granddaughter had told her, it seemed very on point. This is what happened. The grandma came in shortly after the event and got the first story out of Nicole. And Nicole said that she let someone into the house who she thought was who she thought was her mom's friend. It's unclear where the mom was, where Susan was at that time. Um, but to, according to Nicole, she let a guy in who was taller than her father, who was wearing a baseball cap backwards and had a mustache, which describes every man in the 80s, but true. Jeans, sneakers, also. He went downstairs and she heard her mom scream or cry. Um, So she went down some stairs. And as the man, as she was going down, the man was coming up. And in his back pocket, she said he had a rag that was red and white polka dots, which we are to believe um, was blood splatters on the rag. Hmm. So that seems like that could be a true statement from Nicole. It seems for a three-year-old. That seems very precise and on the ball. It's not super helpful. So it sounds like then they questioned her again and again and again, and her her statements changed, which is exactly what yeah. children do. So if you have some charitable dollars that are burning a hole in your pocket right now, there is a really great organization in Minnesota called Corner House that develops appropriate forensic techniques for interviewing children. They're the experts at it. Samantha and I have been to an open house that they had, which is why we're talking like we're experts about <laughs> what, how you should, here's how you should interview children. Do we we're, really know? We're not. We, no, went to we, one event. we went to one event for this organization, but they do really great work. Um, so if you feel like throwing some money their way, it keeps stuff like this from happening where they're like, well, now we can't use this girl's testimony because the police are the ones that made it unusable by asking her too many questions exactly yeah corner house does amazing work they're the national leaders in forensic interviews of children and vulnerable adults it was super cool to see their facility and to hear them talk about what they do i could never do what they do because it sounds like it's heartbreaking absolutely horrendous but they're doing amazing very important work but i i mean i'm cut out for babbling on a podcast i'm not I'm not cut out for that. Absolutely not. So I really feel for Nicole. I can't imagine growing up. I know. Having witnessed this something like that. This is just like a that. sad story. Yeah. And Doreen's family conducted sort of their own investigation in which they started getting anonymous threatening phone calls. There's really not much more to this story. That's pretty much all that happened. Unsolved Mysteries was trying to solve it. But at the end of the segment, there was an update. And it said that Raymond Tempest was convicted of killing Doreen. 
He was sentenced to 85 years, but was since released. Which, when I read that, I was like, wait a second. Yeah. He was sentenced to 85 years, but was released? Already out. So I did some additional research. Thank God. Here's what I found. Um, And granted, there's not a lot of information about this. The only news outlet that's really reporting on this is a tiny little newspaper called the Providence Journal. Okay. So that's where most of this information came from. And what I found was Raymond Tempest, whose nickname was Beaver. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it was. Which is the worst nickname ever. Anyway, that's an aside. He was in jail for 23 years. um, But after his conviction, his case was taken on by the New England Innocence Project. Huh. Basically, they argued that to overturn his conviction, they argued that he didn't receive a fair trial because there was no hard evidence that suggested he did it. There were no eyewitnesses that placed him at the scene. The state's entire case rested on four individuals who claimed that Tempest confessed to them. However, they were vulnerable to police pressure due to their backgrounds in drug trafficking, drug use, and sex work. Also, the police seemed to be feeding information to them and Ah, manipulating their testimony. Lovely, lovely. There was also a brief mention of some DNA evidence. Apparently, and I'm... I tried to find more information about this, but there just wasn't. Apparently, there was hair found clutched in Doreen's hand with DNA on it that did not match Tempest. And there may also have been blood drops at the scene that belonged to the killer that also had DNA that didn't match him. So either an innocent man spent 23 years in prison. Yep. Oh. So that that made this case even worse. Well, there's more. Oh, no. No. Well, in 2015, the Innocence Project was successful. His sentence was vacated by a superior court judge. But as states do, they appealed. And there was another article, a follow-up in 2016, where they talked about the appeals that were going on. In particular, something that stuck out to me was basically the state's entire argument for why his conviction should stand and why he should stay in jail is that if it didn't and they had to retry it, it wouldn't be fair for them because so many witnesses have died. That's not a reason to keep someone in prison. Yeah. I was, I read that and I'm like, that's it? Couldn't that be true? That's the crux of their argument? Uh, Look, that's going to be like super hard for us. What, couldn't you say that about any old case? Um, yeah. The depressed, so it, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, the appeals, because that's what happens. They go back and forth. Sure. And the Supreme Court upheld the lower huh. court's decision that his conviction should be vacated. But in March of this year, there was an article that said the state is going to retry him. So Whoa, twist. I did not see that coming. Yeah. And nine witnesses have died. And I'm not really sure what their case even They're rests gonna on. They're going to retry him with the DNA that's not his. This drives me insane. Like, if I lived in Rhode Island, I would be so mad that my tax dollars were going towards tra- already- the, the state trying to keep this man in jail. I'm like, this is what drives me crazy about the Brendan Dassey case. Yes. The Anand uh, Syed case. The yeah. ones where it seems like nothing more than ego. The fact that the state won't admit that a wrongful person, a person has been wrongfully convicted and... While that person is sitting in jail or while the state is determined to retry the case that they'll probably lose, the real killer is out there. Yeah, it's a waste of tax dollars. It's a waste of everyone's time. It's a waste of putting it's a the waste family through that trial. It's guy has to sit in jail. Not for- only does he lose his entire life just sitting years. in prison. Oh my God. But Doreen and Susan and their families don't get justice. Well, they're not... When they're convinced that this guy is the one who did it and they put the right man in prison, they're not searching for the real killer. So, and this how much made of that crazy. is they just don't want to pay out a wrongful 
um, I don't even know what you call that, but a wrongful, yeah, whatever. You know, I don't know a whole lot about how you know settlements that people can get. Yeah, I don't know if you have to sue the state, you or do. If you just automatically. I think it varies by state. I don't know a lot, so I don't want to comment on that. Okay, that's fair because I don't. No, no, either. But I, I just think it's this mentality we have in our court systems where it's a competition and someone wins, and it really, in some cases, not always, but in some cases, it's like we won. This guy has to stay in prison, and that's not a reason to throw someone's life away and to let the real killer of this, this brutal, this crime was brutal. It was horrible. Yeah, the reenactments of this were very scary. If you've ever lived in an apartment building with. A shared laundry space. That's in the creepy basement? It's always in a creepy basement. It's always down rickety stairs. It's always not lit well. And you're, you don't know who's coming and going. You don't know who all has keys to that room. It's It's probably not even locked. It looked super sketchy. Yeah. And so I think that anyone that's been in that living situation and sees that reenactment. That could be anyone. Absolutely. I mean, that's true of any crime, really. But this one, for me, kind of hit home and, oh, yeah, I could definitely have been killed and just left to die between a washer and dryer. The murder weapon was a pipe. This whole thing was nightmarish. It's just awful. And I understand it was a small town. The the investigators were under, I'm sure, intense pressure to close this case and to find the person who did it, because this is the kind of thing that really rocks small towns. But... An innocent man has probably been in jail for 23 years. Anyone. And now they're going to retry him. So I'm hoping that the Providence Journal keeps reporting on this because I'm going to like follow up on it. Please do. I would like to hear more about this case. The other thing I was trying to find, I'm sure they let him out at some point. When his conviction was first overturned, the judge um, ruled that he needed to be released on home confinement. But then as a result of the appeals, they kept him in prison. So, and I could not find in subsequent articles whether he had ever gotten out. So when Unsolved Mystery said that he'd since been released, I don't know if that was oh. true. I don't know if he eventually did get released on home confinement because none of the articles I found since the 2015 one said. But I'm like, is this man still in prison waiting another trial? Ugh. How horrible. So frustrating. Yeah. So the most interesting part of this case wasn't even in Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Samantha uncovered the most interesting part. Thank yeah. you for your internet sleuthing, Samantha. Oh. Because I saw that update come up, and I was like, oh, I hope Samantha looks into that. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I knew you would. It just didn't make any sense why someone would be convicted and sentenced for 85 years 85 and years then be released. Out. I was like, this is something fishy here. And yeah, was, he was most likely wrongfully convicted. So The other aspect of this case that was so sad is the victim that was in a coma and suffering from amnesia felt all this personal guilt. Yeah, because she didn't she know who couldn't did it. remember. And she was like, every day I wake up and I hope that my memory uh, will return. That's so much pressure when she I, should just be thankful that she survived and gets to live her life. And, with her daughter. Yeah. But instead, she she's taking on the responsibility of trying to solve the case, essentially, you know, it's probably not going to happen. That's probably never going to come back. So that yeah. was sad. That's a, that one's a bummer. This whole, yeah, this segment was a pretty big bummer. <sighs> if you're still listening, five listeners, thank you for not <laughs> switching over to uh, something more know. lighthearted. Yeah, Mark Marin, right about now. We appreciate it. <laughs> um, are you ready for the fraud case? Yes, I am. The second mystery, a fraud case, as I said, it is the case of the heart attacker. The nicknames for these people. Con Juan, as the police were calling him. Which, why? Guys, 
No. You didn't like it? I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I took a screenshot of the, the, news, the newspaper article where he's like smoking a, a cigar and like has this dumb look on his face and says Con Juan on the headlines. It's amazing. His real name was Louis Carlucci and his scam was he would find women, uh, whirlwind romance them, marry them, bleed them dry and leave them. And he did this to, they were speculating, 10 or 15 women a year. And that's how he made his money. Essentially, that was his job. That was his job. Unsolved Mysteries could only get one woman to talk to them about Con Juan. And they referred to her as Barbara, which was not her name. And they blacked out her face because obviously this is embarrassing. No one wants to admit that they thought they had met the love of their life. And got married after knowing them only a few weeks. And it's like, oh, this is a storybook romance. And it turns out, no, he's a huge jerk. He's abusive. Here's the thing, though, with Barbara. It wasn't a storybook romance. She was like, well, I guess he's a nice enough guy. (laughs) He's here, so I guess I'll marry him. I was like, I would have found it more (laughs) believable if he had swept her off her. She literally said her first impression of him was that he had no class. Yeah, I wrote that down, too. (laughs) What? Uh, yeah, you, I, you, it would make more sense if this is mean. If he was handsomer, it's it would, not that mean. <laughs> he is a Jerry Strickland type dirtbag. Um, it would make more sense if yeah, he was better at the romancing part. He doesn't sound very good at clearly it. Clearly, he was good, either good at picking his victims, or he just threw yeah. such a wide net. You know that one guy at a bar that's going to hit on, like, every single girl because eventually it's going to work out? That's a good point. Either he was like that or he was really good at pinpointing people who had insecurities. Vulnerable to this sort of... Right. Where I don't really understand why. So Barbara meets Carlucci in a bar. He sends over some drinks. And, yeah, her first impression of him was that he he had no class. (laughs) But she sort of enjoyed his company and his sense of humor. And he told her that he was in the restaurant business and that essentially that he could take care of her. And she was like, yeah, why not? Was her basically reaction to this. Sure, I want to live a comfortable life. I will let this basically stranger marry me in the bar that we met. Yeah, it's not it's not even romantic at that point, is it? No, it wasn't. But I mean, everyone has their own reasons for getting married. I guess we can't judge. Yeah, well. Oh, I also found it amusing that this type of fraud is referred to as a marriage swindle. I thought that was interesting, too. I didn't realize it was so common. Um, anyway, so... Can I ask another question yeah. about how he picked her up? So, Or his basic, I don't know, M.O.? What the fuck is a friendship club? Oh, I was going to get to that. Okay, I wrote that down, okay, too. I'll, I'll slow down. I don't know. I don't know what that is. So... Part of Colucci's MO in, in meeting these women was that he obviously he went to like a lot of bars and restaurants, but he also went to friendship clubs. I don't know what that is. I is that like a I don't know. I don't know. Is either. that something that's gone by the wayside of friendship? I I'm assume that's like a singles right mixer type of thing. That's just somewhere you go to meet people, I'm assuming. Um no idea. <laughs> anyway, so Carlucci and Barbara get married, and immediately his demeanor changed. So it goes from not great to way worse. Um, He wouldn't let Barbara out of his sight. He was physically abusive. They were living in an unfurnished apartment where he was paying for everything off Barbara's credit cards, which he maxed out. He seemed to have been under the impression that she had more money than she did and was angry about it. 
that was her interpretation. I kind of think he would have been like that no matter what. He was just a jerk. I think this is what he did. He was a nice guy until he had them, and then his true colors started to show. Yeah. And, and he there's... was just a horrible abuser. Yeah, so he's incredibly controlling because he can't have Barbara tell anyone until he's used up all the money, which I'm... Well, it wasn't clear to me really what he was spending it on, but I don't know. He just used all her money for everything. That's how he paid for their rent. That's how he paid for their food. I'm assuming he probably pocketed a bunch of it for when he left. Yeah, he just used her money for everything. For everything. And then is essentially holding her captive for six months until he's spent $20,000. It ends where she, he finds her in the bathroom with a razor blade. She's about to commit suicide to get out of it. And he's like, all right, I guess this is done with. And he like grabs his one good suit and leaves is yeah. how they showed it in the, <laughs> the reenactment. Her friends convince him, convince her to report him to the police. And um, this is the sort of case because it's like America's Most Wanted. Unsolved Mysteries is great for because they had a picture of him. They had a description of him. So, of course, they show his his dumb mug on the it show. Was it was dumb. And he was immediately extradited. And arrested and then extradited back to New York. What's fascinating about this case is that <laughs> Unsolved Masteries manages to catch him twice. Twice. That's Robert how good. said he had the unique distinction of being <laughs> caught twice. That's what makes Unsolved Mysteries so great. So he is found. He's arrested. He's extradited back to New York to stand trial. He somehow had an even dumber mugshot the second time. Yeah, well, that was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> they released him on bail. Obviously, he jumps bail. Of course. Of course. He's a con man. That's what they do. So, Unsolved Mysteries. I hope Robert Zach personally was like, uh-uh, we're going <laughs> to catch him again. So, they just re-aired the episode and then they caught him again. Right. Because probably some woman in a friendship club somewhere was like, <laughs> oh, that guy. Well, it sounded like once one person turned him in and he, they, the police started to poke around, more women started to come forward and sit in this super cliche Law & Order police station <laughs> Did yes. you get a laugh at that? I was yes. like, of course, this is NYPD's headquarters. It's this looks so... exactly like Law and Order. Oh, I just, the reason we have this podcast is because I was lamenting to Samantha that I didn't think of having a Law and Order podcast. Um, right, because there is one and it's really good. And we're like, we can't compete with that. So that's I mean, sad. we can't compete with the good Unsolved Mysteries yeah, podcast but we either. Didn't, but we, we didn't, didn't know that existed. <laughs> but we didn't know they existed at the time. So here so, we are. So uh, here we are. I just but love, Liz loves Law and Order. I love Law and Order, and I love, yeah, those. That, it just got stuck in time in a way where, like, cops were still using typewriters. And, like, I mean, one of the great things about Law and Order is that it really is shot in New York, unlike NYPD Blue or a lot of cop shows. So the light is right. The exteriors are right. You get that sort of sense. And Law and Order was on for so goddamn long <laughs> that you can see, like, New York completely change. Over the course, anyway, I could talk about that forever. This is not the Law and Order podcast. No. But anyway, <laughs> all, all these women came forward and this it investigator is... was like, I'm going to get this douche. Yeah, I'm glad that the investigator seemed to be taking it very seriously and was not like these dumb women. He seemed to understand that they were victims. He was taking them seriously. And he, he also was... understood like the actual damage this, this man had yeah. done. He wasn't like, well, these women had a broken heart. He was like, no, he hurt them physically and mentally and he left psychological carnage in his wake. So I, hats off to that guy. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with that. I thought, um, I don't remember that detective's name, but power to him. 
Um, Carlucci for this, it wasn't clear exactly how many women, because they didn't want, only one was willing to talk to Unsolved Mysteries. It wasn't clear how many ended up testifying against him or whatever. Carlucci did end up serving four years. I don't know what happened to him after that. So, I don't know. Watch out, everyone, for the heartbreaker (laughs) or con Juan. He could be out there. He could be. Romancing your grandma. Oh, no. (laughs) Right? Oh, that's horrible. No, grandma. (laughs) So yeah, that's that fraud case. I the, the best part about it is that Unsolved Mysteries caught him twice. That so you you know he had to be like, oh son of a bitch. Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for Unsolved Mysteries. That's pretty good. That so was a good one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not the most exciting, but I mean, people will love the mugshot though. Yeah, we'll have to post <laughs> it for sure. So our next case is wanted, and here's what happened. So it was in 1986. This woman named Diane Broadbeck, she was a 43-year-old housewife. She was quote-unquote happily married. I question how happy that marriage was. Can I just say that I wrote down Robert Stack wears a nice navy double-breasted overcoat? That's my first (laughs) note about this case. He was looking sharp in this episode. Actually, I think this case is very interesting, so sorry. That's okay. So she was happily married. I'm doing Mm -hmm. air quotes. She had two daughters. She worked as a bank manager and avidly pursued an interest in psychology. I don't really know what that means. Like, was she going to school for it or she just... She was a busy lady, though. So she lived in the small Pennsylvania town of Wellsville. She was a devout Christian. She was active in her local church for 20 years. Um, One of her many community activities involved writing letters to prisoners who had no family or friends. This is where we start going down a not-so-nice path. Yeah. It also made me go, like, if Samantha and I aren't writing to prisoners, who is? I don't know. People like Diane. Oh, Diane. So Diane had a friend who was visiting prison prisoners who I'm assuming just didn't have anyone else to visit them. In particular, she was visiting a man named John Yaunt, um, but she was no longer able to for some reason. So she mentioned it to Diane and Diane seemed to think I'm already corresponding with prisoners. Um, this will just be an, a continuation of that good work. So she started writing to and visiting John Yaunt. He was serving a life sentence for the brutal murder of an 18 year old they call her a schoolgirl, which made me intensely uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I guess the point is that she was... She was in school, but she was yeah. an 18-year-old woman. I don't know. That's an aside, but I kind of squeaked some, out by it. Some dated language, I feel like. Yeah. Anyway, so in 1966, John Yaunt was a math teacher at a high school in Du Bois, Pennsylvania. On April 28th, 1966, he offered a ride home from school to Pamela Sue Reimer, who was one of his students. Later that afternoon, her body was found in the woods near the road. He beat her with a wrench, raped her, and slit her throat. Ugh. Doesn't get more brutal and awful than that. Not really. He confessed the next day, was convicted of first-degree murder, and sentenced to life in prison. So he's super guilty. Super guilty. Of a horrible, horrible crime. He was awful. Yeah. 16 years later, he began writing to Diane. And, yeah, they quickly became something more than just pen pals. When Diane would visit him in prison, the prison guards said that they would kiss and hug. And I'm going to read you one of the letters he wrote. No, they're so creepy. (laughs) Oh, okay. Brace yourself. I'm braced. Here it is. Hi, my precious lady. I wanted you to be close to me so much today. I hope my enjoyment and adoration of you is an incentive to be the best you can. The adoration of a murderer i'm gonna throw up you are a classy lady i miss you and love you john (laughs) you are a classy lady 
I, Apparently yeah. this swept her off her feet and she fell in love with him. I wrote, John looks like a murderer and his oh. letters are so creepy. <laughs> they were so, that was the creepiest one. They read a few others. I'm not going to put you through that. It's <sighs> awful. I have heebie-jeebies now. Oh, I've had them from the beginning. So... <laughs> Here's what happened. On April 5th, 1986, Diane disappeared. A month later, her abandoned car was found in a motel parking lot 30 minutes from her home. In the trunk was an overnight bag. She was nowhere to be found. Coincidentally, the same day Diane vanished, John Yant escaped from prison. So he was a model prisoner, so he had earned the right to work unsupervised outside the prison fence. Which I was not thrilled to learn. I can't believe that was ever a thing. Yeah, we'll just let this guy literally walk free he's outside the fence with no one watching him yeah literally what is to stop him from just doing what happened here which is someone just drove up and picked him up or murder someone else yeah so what if another 18 year old happened to wander by that field oh my god so on the morning of the escape he was sent out to cut some hay alone the prison guard (laughs) dropped him off what does the prison mean the hay for I'm assuming maybe they sell it or it's just something to keep the prisoners occupied. They probably have extra land and they're like, well, we might as well throw some hay on it. I don't know. But this is the thing. This dumb prison guard drops him off. And as he's driving away, he sees Diane driving the opposite direction towards Yaunt. And he thinks to himself, that's John's girlfriend. Why is she driving out here? That guy was real dumb. And he just continued on his merry way. He never thought, maybe I should turn around and make sure she's not picking him up and escaping, which is Look, exactly what they did. he was probably off the clock, and he was like, I do not care. I'm going home. It's been a long day. Oh, my God. I was like, really? So, yeah, I wrote down, he's a terrible prison guard. <laughs> he's not the best. No. <laughs> so, the authorities think that Diane helped Yant escape. They interviewed a couple different people who disagreed, including her mother, who was convinced that she was an upstanding citizen and would never help a convicted murderer escape prison. I don't even know that old ladies can look like her mom anymore. She's just like, she looks like the grandma from the Beverly Hillbillies or something. She totally did. She's like the most cliche. Like if you were dressing as an old lady for Halloween, then you would dress like her. her. She was just like, she was a church going woman. She would never help a murderer escape. Well, turns out she did. Her husband was like, yeah, she did. (laughs) Her husband seems like. I felt bad for him. Dazed. I mean. You would be. If you didn't see this coming, and yeah. suddenly it was like, oh, it turns out my wife of 25 years left me and our children to help a murderer escape from prison and run off together. Yeah. The part that made me feel bad is he's like, I think she's dead because if she was alive, she would have contacted the family. But she actually was alive, and she didn't contact the family. I'm not sure what is more heartbreaking, the fact that he thought she must be dead, or the fact that she literally just left her family. I don't know. It's a it probably weird evens case. Up. It's, it's super weird. None, no one had seen them for two years, and then um, when the show aired, but of course, as soon as it did, they <laughs> were captured. Mysteries, da, da, da. And they captured both of them. She hadn't been. I mean, when I was watching this, I thought almost what her husband did. I'm like, he used her to get out of prison and then killed her. I that's what I thought too. So I'm happy that he didn't. But I guess they, they were really in love. They were like living on a horse farm in the middle of nowhere or something. It so looks they, nice. They stayed together. He didn't just abandon her. Anyway, yeah, so two t- co-workers turned them in. Uh, watching it, I was shocked by the update because watching it, I was like, this guy, he's a predator. He found a way to manipulate her, you know. Which I think he did. I'm dubious of the fact that they said he loved her as much as she loved him. Yeah, I don't know about I think that. he was just using the first, he probably tried this with scores of other women who were like, I'm just going to stop writing he this had, guy. He had, right. And he just right. finally found one who was willing really to, 
willing to do this for him. And But I was surprised she was alive. I was too. I was I had this sinking feeling that she had been killed by him. Right. So I'm glad that he didn't kill her. She got like two years in prison or something. He just yeah. he just was sent back to finish out his sentence. So in a way, I guess it worked out for him because he got to spend a couple of years on the horse farm with yeah. his girlfriend. I guess if you have nothing to lose, then you're willing to attempt something like this because what's the worst that could happen? They catch you and you just go back to prison. I'm hoping that prisons don't still allow prisoners to just wander around outside their gates alone, unsupervised. Because yeah, violent offenses. I'm surprised more people haven't escaped this way. And maybe they have and they just aren't reported. But yeah, literally maybe. he could just walk away because yeah, they just left him without anyone watching him. I'm uncomfortable with prisons making prisoners work as it is because they're not really paid. It There's slave labor aspects to it but then this case is something totally different where i'm like no this is just a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) let him just go free basically yeah i just i can't he doesn't seem trustworthy fun fact regarding prison work Mm. our works tables in our conference room are made by prisoners oh yeah they do a good good job they're nice tables (laughs) i don't know what prison some prison in minnesota there. So, yeah, fun fact. There you go. You make nice tables, I guess. I like, you know, when I hear... So, sometimes we watch, like, the Locked Up shows on Netflix. My fiancé likes to watch those. And some of... I mean, it does seem like some of the work that prisoners do is really fulfilling to them. It has to be boring as fuck to sit in prison. They might sure. well contribute something. Like, when prisoners train dogs, for instance, I think I always enjoy That's watching those program. stories. You know, because they usually take dogs from shelters, and, like, they live with a prisoner, so they get trained. Sometimes they train, like, actual service dogs for people with disabilities. No. And, and it's beneficial to the prisoners, too, because they get to feel unconditional love from an animal. You know, you don't... There's not a lot of love to go around in prison. So I think some of those programs, but letting a prisoner free to work a field is not for my idea a. of fulfilling work for I don't think anyone's getting anything out of that and they can literally just leave I don't feel like I can really I'm not prepared to fully articulate my <laughs> stance on a, on a forced prison labor but um, right. I, I, it's good, it's going to become clear as the podcast goes on that I'm more in favor of rehabilitation programs than just strict punishment I, Agreed there. Yeah, but but this guy... Except for guys like this. He should rot. Yeah, he seems... There's no doubt that he's guilty, and it was a horrible, needless crime, and I... Yeah, don't let him out to cut hay. Yeah. So that was, that was mine. That was just like a twist. That's got a surprise. Yeah. The update, really. It was a twist. Is the surprise. I have Samantha's least favorite type of mystery topic. I'm glad it just worked out that you had to do Treasure! treasure hunt oh Oh, my god so i hate these stories i really do there's no treasure there is never a treasure i've solved all of them right this second there's never a fucking treasure all right done done i like so robert stack is a professional i think we can all agree that he delivers his lines even when they're very poorly written or super cheesy with conviction. Yes. But you can tell when he's introducing <laughs> this segment that he thinks these treasure hunters are He always gets dumb. this little smile on his face. He's he like, does the yeah, same right. thing. I recently watched an episode that I'm excited to talk about. 
crop circles. Oh, yeah. You can tell when he's talking about these paranormal like, yeah, all segments. Right, guys. Like, he gets this smile on his face where he's like, maybe there are aliens. Who knows? I'm like, Robert's you can tell. He's like, he's We're on the same to page. you a yeah. little bit where he's yeah. like, yeah, maybe they're going to find a treasure. Okay. <laughs> so this is the Thomas Beale treasure, which is said to be buried in Bedford County, Virginia, where... Pounds and pounds of gold and silver are buried in iron pots. Sure and they are. Sure they are. In Unsolved Mysteries time, the money was said to be worth $21 million. I looked it up and crazy old men on the internet were saying it would be worth $38 million today. Uh, since there isn't really a treasure, it doesn't matter. You can say, <laughs> you can say any number. Five million billion dollars. Five million billion Robert Stack dollars. Um, the legend is that in the early 1800s in New Mexico, Thomas Beale and a team of 30 miners dug up gold and silver from a mine for reasons completely never explained whatsoever. He moved all of that from New Mexico to Virginia. Here's the other thing. I know shit about mining, but it's not like you're just digging in the ground in a mine and there's just like gold ready to be sold. Oh, gold and silver. And silver. And at some point, like, someone was, it was hidden saying, there by someone else. Like you have to, don't you have to process that shit? It's not just like gold to, bricks in a cave. <laughs> no. Well, it's, which is it's, how it's always is. How it always is in these reenactments. It's like, like oh, they're blinded by a by a yellow light. <laughs> oh my god, I can't, I can't handle these. Also, seconds. at one point, someone was saying gold, silver, and jewels, and then I was oh, like, and jewels. Where okay. did the jewels come from? But most of the time, there's a hidden just, treasure. There's always jewels. <laughs> It was probably a crown. <laughs> it's like Scrooge McDuck diving <laughs> into his his vault. Um, yeah, why would you dig up a bunch of gold and silver for a mine, bring it all the way to Virginia, and then he supposedly then buried it, and then left they written have, they instructions. They always rebury it. <laughs> why do you your, rebury it? Your hatred of treasure <laughs> is amazing. I don't understand. They dig it up, and then for some reason, they always have to bury it again. Well, he had to bury it again, and, and there's then... There's nowhere else to put it besides the ground? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a basement in your, your, friend, your friend's or a, house? Or a safe. Or a bank. Literally, or a, like we have to and, put it back in the ground. Not only do you have to put it back in the ground, but you have to mysteriously hide where it is buried by leaving three different ciphers. Oh my god! And no, only one course. of which has been cracked. There's literally no other way to do it. The second one that tells you what the treasure is, conveniently, that's the one that's cracked. That cipher was based on the Declaration of Independence. If you take letter, number, whatever. It's I, yeah. so boring. I, my eyes glazed over while I was watching this. The other thing I have written down is, so the treasure is supposedly buried in a secret vault, which Robert Stack has described as roughly the size of two Rolls Royces. <laughs> that is not a system of measurement, Robert Stack. No, why wouldn't you just say two cars? Why two Rolls Royces? Well, it could be, be any car, Liz. Rolls Royce is much more specific. Yeah, I just think, I just took that to mean that Robert so this, Stack has two Rolls Royces, so that meant something to him. So the secret vault that no one's ever seen because no one's ever found this. Yeah. They just know how big it is and they it just, happens to be the size of two Rolls Royces. <laughs> yes. This makes total yes. sense. Yes, so the episode... I don't even know that we really need to go into it. it. We need to go into some of the characters. Well, okay. So it focuses on a couple different treasure hunters that are convinced they are moments away from finding the treasure. Obviously, they're in two totally different places in Bedford County. One of them is the Tony brothers. 
One of them is wearing a really nice rainbow puffy vest. Yes. Please. And every guy down there has to wear a trucker hat, apparently. Well, yeah, you can't use a metal detector and not wear a trucker hat, Samantha. It doesn't work. The <laughs> metal detector literally won't turn on until you yeah, have a trucker hat exactly. on your head. Exactly. Um, one yeah. of them literally finds a piece of rusted metal in the ground and is like, oh, this is a sign that's pointing <laughs> us to the... And you're just like, no. It's not. It's not. One of them, Wilbur Smith... Who was getting MVM? This was a contentious. Every man in this episode is, has a mustache, so it's kind of hard to pick. But Wilbur, in addition to having a good mustache, is just a hilarious character. He spent twenty grand trying to find this treasure. He left his what his family back home. I think he had quit his job. He basically ruined his life <laughs> to go find a treasure. <laughs> to go find exist. a treasure that he was not any closer to finding. They interviewed a contractor who was a guy, basically a guy with a backhoe digger thing. And <laughs> the technical term hey, for it. hope you really appreciated that, five listeners. Uh, who was like, yeah, I've dug for 20, 25 people who all knew exactly where the treasure was. And guess what? There was never a treasure. There was never a treasure. He seemed highly amused and was kind of shading everyone that... Uh, he was the one that was making out he was the, he, It was working out for him. He didn't mind. They also showed a room of just town locals the sitting around. The Good Old around. Boys Club is what I wrote down. <laughs> yes. Literally. All old white men sitting around on folding chairs wearing trupper hats just laughing their asses off that Yankees come... They were highly, they're like, maybe there's a treasure and maybe they're going to find it, but probably not. <laughs> like, you, it's just this idea of, and I'm sure every sort of smaller community, when someone that's not from there, like, wanders in and thinks they know everything. that You're like, yeah, sure yeah, you do. Yeah, sure dude. you do. I, I guess they got a good laugh out of it. Uh, maybe that's the best thing to come out of it. I also have there were they talked to like a computer expert they also oh my God. this episode this high tech computer they lab kept, they kept asking like computers were magic in this segment, which that's just the times, I guess. But they're like, this guy is a computer expert who's been studying the codes for 30 years. And I just wrote down what? Because there's only three ciphers and they're not that long. He's been studying them for 30 years. Yeah, they show, Robert Stack describes this high-tech computer lab and then it goes from dark, like all the lights come on automatically in this. Because like, this is a point. Super, children, I mean, at the time you it don't probably was very high-tech. But, but a computer used to fill up a whole room. But yeah, they're in like the state of a car. Your, our computer lab wasn't just some folding tables with laptops on it like it is now. Like a computer took up a room. So they're like, oh, look at this fancy machinery that can figure out if this is based on the Declaration of Independence or not. Oh my God. So we can find this treasure. The thing that I wrote down before doing any additional research was that I didn't understand. If you found this treasure, say it existed, it's on somebody else's land. It's not on your land. Yeah, it's either on someone's land specifically or it's on public land, in which case. So I didn't. Who like, gets it? Yeah. If I go down to Virginia and I'm like, hey, I'm convinced I'm the person that knows where Thomas Buell's treasure is, can they dig it up? Why would they just let me keep it? But anyway, you'll be happy to know that I did some additional research that you didn't have to do. Thank God. And it turns out that this is probably super duper fake. But. (laughs) What? (laughs) No. How? This is fake, Liz? Well, first I fell into the rabbit hole of treasure hunter message boards. (laughs) Which, a little corner of the internet oh, you didn't know existed. I didn't know. Ex- I, I mean, as soon as you say it, it's like, well, yeah, of course that's a of thing. Of course that's a thing. Yeah, of course there's a bunch of 
elderly men that barely know how to use the internet sharing their treasure hunting stories, which sound 100% made up. (laughs) (laughs) One of them was about this guy. On the internet, no one knows you're making up your treasure hunting story. (laughs) Uh, It's either that or just complaining about the Democrats. There was a lot of that, too. There was a guy telling a story about how he figured out this place in Bedford County where a road would have gone by, but the current road doesn't. And he got a dowsing rod and he went out there and he, he claimed his dog was missing. So a guy would let him go on his land. And one day- <laughs> So you're trespassing. So then yeah, you no. find the treasure and then it, you don't get it. Well, he was like, I have to work up the courage to ask that guy if I can go back on his land. He's like, he's going to say no, dude. <laughs> or he's going to say, yeah, 90% of, if you find it, 90% is mine. Go dig it up for me. Yeah, exactly. But, oh, yeah. Also, people were speculating that Thomas, so it was Thomas Jefferson Beale is the full name of this supposed miner. There are people who believe he is a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. Because you two people can't have the same name. (laughs) No. And not be related. How could two people be named Thomas? That couldn't happen. Jefferson. (laughs) So people thought that he was an illegitimate heir to Thomas Jefferson because Thomas Jefferson was a creeper and raged at a bunch of his slaves. Yeah. So, of course, obviously, this guy is a descendant of one of his slaves. Is there any... The only evidence is that they have a similar name. There's no evidence to support that whatsoever, but lots of people believe it. What actually happened is that... In the 1840s, maybe, a company published a pamphlet called the Beale Papers that included these ciphers. And it seems like they completely made this up to sell pamphlets. (laughs) Because That's not as exciting. Because there is no evidence of a Thomas Beale ever. There's no evidence of the 30 miners that supposedly helped him dig this up. (laughs) No one claims to be the descendant of any of those miners. No one knows anything about moving this huge fortune from New Mexico to Virginia (laughs) and then Thomas Beale. And then reburying it. Reburying it. And then Thomas Beale going back to New Mexico. There's no history of any of that. Unsolved Mysteries acted like the solved cipher based on the Declaration of Independence made these very fluid, sensical sentences that told you about the treasure Apparently, if you actually go through the cipher, there's tons of misspellings and errors, and it doesn't really make sense, which makes you wonder if that's why the other two things can't be solved. Because they literally are just nonsense. Because they're literally just nonsense, or they're, like, so poorly done that you wouldn't know that you solved it (laughs) when you did. Um, The other evidence that this is totally made up is that in the cipher, there's a couple words that were not in usage at the time it was supposedly written. <laughs> like the word stampede apparently did not come into usage until like 20 years after this was supposedly written. Oh, that's a red flag immediately. And that linguists have studied the language of the pamphlet versus the language of the cipher and that they seem to be written by the same person. <laughs> also, how... There's just no evidence that this exists at all, (laughs) except that someone published a pamphlet about it, which is basically just like posting it on the internet. So yeah, Samantha is right. There's no treasure. There's never a treasure. Wilbur, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but go back to your family. (laughs) Go back to your family and apologize hard. For spending all your money 
to chase after a treasure that doesn't exist. I'm, unlike Samantha, I do think it would be kind of cool to look for a treasure. There's nothing I would want to do less in the world. <laughs> you have to be outside. You probably have to sleep in a tent. Well, that's true. Fuck yeah. that. You have to dig in the... I, no. <laughs> no. No. I, I respect that other people might want to do it. Um, no, I'm not going to shit on people's treasure hunting dreams. <laughs> I just think it sounds su- super stupid. The other day... Mac was saying, with global warming, as more and more cities are covered by water, that that will really help underwater treasure hunting. That was the silver lining he felt he found. Now, underwater the- treasure hunting seems like something that could be legit, like boat, like ship sinking, and then you, yes. you go salvage the wreckage. For some reason, there's like finders keepers laws apply to the sea. Sure, yeah. Who owns the ocean? Yeah. Yeah. So if you it's find gray stuff area. in the ocean. You can just keep it. It's your. Uh, an example of that is the Titanic. When they found the Titanic, whoever originally found it was like, this should be preserved because it's like an underwater graveyard and we right. shouldn't pillage it. Pillage it. <laughs> well, of course, other people just came and pillaged it. Right, of course. Because they like to stop them. The next people came. And so now there's like these shitty museum that these people went, stole. Just took. Yeah. I probably should like go to their families or something. Yeah. But underwater treasure hunting, if I dive might be something I'd be interested <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, I can't dive either. At so. least you get to see some cool fish. Like, it's you get something out of it. <laughs> when you find out there's no treasure, but you do find an octopus. Yeah. You're like, well, that, that was It cool. was worth it. I saw some, some cuttlefish or Opposed something. to just, know. like, getting heat stroke in the desert. Yeah, and dirty and... Dirty you know. and... Yeah, so there probably wasn't a Thomas Jefferson Beale, and there probably wasn't a treasure. And <laughs> the person that made out was that contractor. Who yeah, who's like, bring him on, the- treasure hunters. He probably has a whole website. He's probably the one fueling the fire on the internet. Like, yeah, oh, there's yeah. a treasure. Come on down. Come on down. I'll help you I'll out. help you dig for it. Um, it only costs $50 an hour. This podcast is probably not going to stop people looking for it. I guess people They're still are. No, they are certainly not. Particularly with your disdain for treasure. <laughs> they tuned in. They tuned out immediately. I, I, I would like to live in a world where there was just treasures you could discover, sure. but it's probably not really. I don't think it's funny. Why? Why would that be true? And why would you just get to keep it? The only actual treasures are like in Egyptian pyramids, and when you find them, you get cursed. <laughs> true. Also, so, and I don't mummies know that, rise from the dead. I don't you. think I really get to just like go to Egypt and steal stuff like Indiana Jones. Like that's rude <laughs> like why is that mine right it belongs to i guess that was always indiana jones. he was like it belongs in a museum like yeah but not in not an egyptian museum i guess <laughs> an american museum uh, anyway oh, well this episode was was uh, should we rate it oh yeah category one is mysterious okay mysteriousness first category how mysterious were these mysteries not very mysterious so let's go through so mystery one i mean it's kind of mysterious in so much as we totally believe tempest was wrongfully convicted so it's still a mystery who really That's did true. it you uncovered like another mystery within that one right who actually did it so i mean that was kind of mysterious the heartbreaker con Juan guy not mysterious there was nothing mysterious about no. that nor was there anything mysterious about the escape from prison i guess that she treasure. wasn't dead yeah, that was kind of a mystery, but you knew who did, who did it. Yeah. It was really just we're trying to catch this guy. Yeah, that's true. So I'm going thumbs down. For I'm going to say thumbs down. I agree. Um, the next category is reenactment. Hmm. You know, the first first reenactments were terrifying. They were terrifying. Yeah, I was 
totally scared. Um, they used a lot of the real people, which Unsolved Mysteries tries to do, and sometimes they can use a lot of them, sometimes they can't. It seemed like they really used a lot of the actual players, the police, the family. They weren't hilarious in the way that last week's episode. No. Um, Mainly because the segments weren't funny. <laughs> they were either super depressing or, I mean, the last one kind of was. but Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say thumbs up, I guess. I'm a thumb sideways on that one. Our next category is mustaches, accessories, hair, etc. Oh, that's a thumbs up for me for oh, this one. Oh, yeah. There were so many mustaches. The, all the women had big hair. It was it was good. Yeah. There was a lot of 80s fashion. Lots of... This was a very hat-oriented episode. Lots, Lots of, of hats. So many hats, trucker hats. Trucker hats. There was one guy that... One of the locals in Your Last Mystery who was, like, sitting in his garage with his trucker hat and, like, a pipe hanging out yes. of his mouth. And he's yes. like... Chuckling. That guy's the real treasure, folks. I'm gonna. I'm a thumbs up for. Yeah, thumbs way up. I would give it an, even another thumb. <laughs> Two you thumbs can do up. whatever you want. We <laughs> totally made up the system of judging. Yeah, no, so. thumbs up. Two thumbs, thumbs up. up. Robert Stack's outfits is our last category. Uh, thumbs up again. Big thumbs up. He had. He brought back the corduroy suit coat. Yeah. Then uh, had a really sharp like striped tie that went with it that I thought looked really the nice. Quarter- the corduroy jacket is unbelievably hilarious. It's, it's so like something funny. I would think a professor in the 70s would wear, if that makes sense. Robert Stack pulls it off pretty well. Yeah, it, he makes it seem more like he's about to go ride a horse or like <laughs> spend the afternoon at the country club and oh, yeah. discuss cigars. I, I don't know what, what men do. Um, <laughs> discuss cigars. Discuss cigars, you know. In his role. Royce. Yeah, in his two Rolls Royces <laughs> while shifting his brandy in a sifter. And yeah, yeah, no. Thumbs up. What am I even saying? Thumbs up. I mean, I know you really like a turtleneck, but. He, we still haven't got a turtleneck. I'm disappointed in that, but I'm still giving it a thumbs up because he looked sharp in every segment. He did. And there's a great part for the treasure mystery where he's like half leaning on a desk, unscrolling something. <laughs> Well, it might be the actual cipher. He kind of holds it up. Yeah, and then he sort of gives side eye to the eye, the idea of treasure hunting. Uh, I don't even I remember it. what he was wearing, but it was just a good I think set. It was just a regular suit. Yeah, it was like I good... have a screenshot for Instagram. I'll post it. <laughs> it's uh, I liked. He's in just sort of a gentleman's study. Yeah, where no. you would keep your yeah your where you'd keep your cipher where you'd keep your ciphers where I keep all of my ciphers of course so and your gentleman's study. and my gentleman's study with my my taxidermy and my <laughs> vintage playboys or something <laughs> uh, thumbs way up. thumbs up what do you give this episode out of Robert Stacks so we you can give up to five Robert Stacks and as little as zero I'm really not sure how I feel about this one I'm I'm leaning towards like. Three and a half Robert Stacks? Maybe? I was going to say three and a half Robert Stacks. It's just, it's not the worst. It's definitely not the best. I would not say two Rolls Royces of Robert Stacks. <laughs> for sure, I would not say that. Yeah, it's like a three or a four. It's 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 fine. one I would maybe skip if I was just casually watching like Unsolved Mysteries. I enjoyed your mystery about the prison escape the most because okay. I really didn't expect her to be alive. Yeah. And yep. when I, when I made my family watch that one as well, we really were like, whoa, she was alive the yeah, whole time. that's how I felt. Crazy. And honestly, for me, the additional research we did, like your additional research into the treasure hunting forums and mine into the <laughs> possible, most likely wrongful conviction of 
Beaver Tempest. <laughs> Beaver. That oh, was more interesting. Than I feel what bad they laughing put. at his nickname now that we think he's innocent. Yeah, but. poor guy. But I mean, I found all of that extra information that they didn't put into the episode more interesting than what they did. So yeah, I'm yeah. a three and a half Robert Stacks yeah. on this one. Let's let's go with that. Yeah. So it's a, not the worst, not the best, but it's in the books now. It's done. <laughs> We're not going to rewatch this one. Probably not. No. 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 Samantha, I. I don't have a surprise this week. And I honestly feel... We can't afford to keep, <laughs> keep doing surprises, so we, we understand. We don't I have feel... any sponsors yet. We're not on Patreon. Yeah. We can't be buying shit I mean, week. I was thinking about sponsors that I would love to have. Oh, LaCroix, maybe? LaCroix, definitely. The benefit that, so now we're filming in a kitchen instead of a library, and now we can have LaCroix. Yeah, that's while... huge. Um, LaCroix should definitely sponsor us because it's keeping us alive. Um, it's, it's my only source of hydration. <laughs> I would also like, speaking of clear, fruity beverages, clearly Canadian. Which you found Get at the local high Yes, this has been an exciting week in my life. Well, you may remember a special beverage called Clearly Canadian, a.k.a. Zima for children. <laughs> I got it all the time in middle school for lunch, and it was freaking expensive. So that meant I could get, like, a cookie and I think maybe sometimes fries. <laughs> it's amazing I'm still alive. But <laughs> I was probably so malnourished. It was just so delicious, Clearly Canadian. It tastes a lot like LaCroix, except that it has sugar in it. Right. And it came in, like, a glass bottle, and I guess that's why it got to be way too expensive. It's still expensive. It's at Hy-Vee, hilariously, in the import section, because I <laughs> guess they really are importing it from Canada. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, when I posted about this on my personal Facebook, a girl I went to high school with did some sleuthing, because she honestly <laughs> wanted me to send her a bottle, because she does not live by a Hy-Vee, and found out they also sell it at Cost Plus World Market. Oh, okay. So if you live by one of those... And you want a Clearly Canadian. And you want a Clearly Canadian to taste your youth. It's the perfect thing to pair with an Unsolved Mysteries episode. Absolutely. So that, I would love a sponsorship from Clearly Canadian. They can just send us, like, a pallet. They don't have to send us any money. They can just send us product. Yep. And that's good enough for me. We thought it would be nice to end the episodes with a little recommendation of something else that we've been enjoying. Yeah. So Clearly Canadian, for me, is one. That's your recommendation? (laughs) It was one of those things. Um, I was also, this is also not a surprise to you. I was going to do a shout out to the Minneapolis Ghost Tour. Yeah. For local listeners, we are a big fan of Dangerous Linda. Dangerous Linda is a great tour guide and so knowledgeable about not just ghosts, but like history of the cities in general. We did one in Minneapolis. And it was so much fun. It's a walking tour. It was like an hour, hour and a half, it was a maybe. It beautiful night. You start down by the river and you just kind of wander through downtown. And she points out all the places where people have either been horribly murdered murdered, or someone has seen a apparition from the other side yeah and And she has some really interesting stories that i hadn't heard anywhere else yeah i've lived in minnesota my whole life and i you know the mill city museum for instance i have never toured it i meant to go sometime but we should go it would be really fun but she you know tells some stories about people who've seen ghosts resulting from um that explosion yeah it was a, a mill a flour mill Originally, and there was an explosion where some, some people died. I didn't learn until I moved here that that flour is so explosive. Yeah, I guess there's so much you know particulate in the air that it's, it's combustible. Knows? Probably everyone except me. Oh, but God. I didn't know that until I moved to Minneapolis. 
And then there's just ruins of things that exploded because of flour. Oh, listen, Halloween is around the corner. They do ghost tours in St. Paul, which we are going to go to on one on Friday the 13th, of I'm course. I'm so excited. Because these are the activities we do. <laughs> yeah. There's also You're wondering what Samantha and I are doing when we're not recording these podcasts. It's things like ghost tours. They're not surprised. Ghost tours. Cemetery tours. I'm looking forward to the St. Paul one because I think it might have a richer history. Yeah, it's an older city. It's got a gangster crime connection. Right. Um, There used to be a lot of gangsters in St. Paul because they were sort of given amnesty. Yeah, it was a sanctuary city for for crime in the 1920s. It's got to have some good ghosts. And it's just a nice place to walk around. So anyway, my recommendation for the week only really helps you if you live in the general Twin Cities area. Well, take a look at your city. I'm sure this isn't a unique thing. That's true. I bet there's... Similar walking ghost tours in major cities around the country. If you're in an area that doesn't have walking ghost tours. Maybe start one. And you need a job. (laughs) Boom. The overhead of that is nothing. Yeah, you literally have. It's genius. People pay you. They organize on Facebook. You don't even need a website. Walk around and you tell ghost stories. There you go. You got a job. Now your parents are not ashamed of you. (laughs) Ta-da! There's my my recommendation. So Funny enough, my recommendation is sort of adjacent to yours, but it's a podcast. Oh. I want to recommend another rewatch podcast that's also new to the podcast world. Oh. And I found out about them because they liked our Instagram page. And it is a podcast called Baggins Bros, B-A-G-A-N apostrophe S. Interesting. And if you're into paranormal things, you probably already know what show they rewatch, Ghost Adventures <laughs> on the Travel Channel. I fucking loved that show. This is a weird thing about me. I don't really believe in ghosts, but I fucking love paranormal investigations. It's just interesting. It's so interesting to me. And this show, Ghost Adventures, if you haven't watched it, watched it, I highly recommend it. I have such fond memories of watching the show in college in my dorm room with my best friend, Matt. And just, it's terrifying. Like, they actually capture some crazy evidence that you're like, holy shit, that's like a apparition of a ghost. But then there's also moments where it's so ridiculous <laughs> that it's like, is this real? The characters in it, the three guys who are the main investigators, are just funny, including Zach Baggins, who's the main guy. He's like this douchey, bro-y guy. And he does funny things. Like, he, he'll, like, force his other co-host to sit in an attic alone. <laughs> and, he's, and, like, he never does it himself, but he, like, always makes them do it. It's hilarious and scary and I didn't realize there was 18 seasons. I kind of am jealous that oh I didn't think God. of making a podcast about See, that's See, I wanted the Law and Order podcast. You wanted the Ghost oh. podcast. And but here these guys do a better job than I think I could. They really capture that feeling of like skeptical believers. Like they're kind of like, this seems like they made that up and like they kind of analyze, you know, the cuts. Right. Like like if it's, is it one continuous cut where this oh. guy gets like a scratch on him or do they stop and sort of pan the camera away but then they also talk about how some things seem realistic and they call Zach out on his shenanigans and I just really enjoy it I think they're funny guys they're also a new podcast like us I think they deserve more listeners and more reviews than they have so go check them out yeah I'm glad we both had ghost recommendations (laughs) we didn't plan that at all no so but we Mm -hmm. it's it's unsurprising because this is the kind of shit we're into yeah actually it's probably not surprising. <laughs> I was like, no, oh, what not. a coincidence. Maybe we'll find and some off-theme recommendations for next weekend. Well, I, yeah. What if my Probably recommendation not. had just been, get clearly Canadian at high V. It's, it's, it's <laughs> People more, who don't have a high V are like, what the fuck is she even talking like, about? Or, yeah, anyone younger than me is like, what the hell? Anyway, 
Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at perhapsitsyoupodcast at gmail.com. If you have a good ghost story, we, I write in with your ghost encounters, people. I'd love people. to hear it. Bye.